please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Good morning, everybody. So, here we are again. It's a wet, rainy weekend, the beginning of Dragon Con, the beginning of the Labor Day weekend. I'm sure everybody out there is getting ready to have some fun and some excitement. And, of course, be aware because, you know, Georgia State Patrol is out in force right now um, doing a variety of different things. And I, I, I know I'm supposed to be talking about the upcoming legislative session, and I'm, I'm going to kind of talk. You see, I'm here by myself and I don't have anyone reining me in today, so I kind of, because it's holiday weekend, I kind of have a little bit more, um, shall we say, latitude this week than I would normally, and I'm going to take advantage of it, because I, I really want to talk about laws, all right? I mean, this is one of the things that GeorgiaCarry.org does, is we try to lobby for better laws and have better laws on the books that make more sense, and then they litigate to try to make sure that the laws are enforced properly and and defined properly and understood properly by law enforcement. They offer classes for law enforcement so that they understand what the laws are, and this is all great. So this is, you know, part of our our fundamental function as an organization is to to have better laws in the state of Georgia. So in that vein, I really want to talk about why we have a law and what good does it do and what does it do for you. And this is this is a twofold thing. First off, I, I have had um, a experience this week with a state trooper who pulled me over for going too slow in the left lane. Now, this is a law that that has bothered me from the beginning of time. And I really want to get into why it bothers me. And I, cause I know there are a lot of people who go, Oh yeah, I get tied up all the time. You get somebody who's driving way too slow in the left lane. There's no way to pass. This is ridiculous. They should be going faster. They should be going as fast as I want them to. But I want to go back and tie this in with a bigger concept. Okay. This is bigger than just, I want to be able to go fast. I want to be able to go fast enough in the left lane that the cop wants to pull me over. I get that. Okay. I, all of you out there, I understand that. But there is a bigger principle at play. There is a bigger fundamental theory of the, about the way law and politics are meant to work that we as a nation are losing and that nobody gets. Now, uh, some of you are aware, uh, some of you are not, that my, my dear wife, Jessica, who co-hosts here with me occasionally, uh, is in the process of going back to college. And I am very proud of her for choosing to go back to college. It is a wonderful endeavor. Everyone should have at least a college degree in this world today. They need at least that much. I, I think you need more to be able to do what we are meant to do as human beings, which is have a modicum of freedom. College education will get you a good job working for someone else. But until you work for yourself, until you you know take on that position of a yeoman farmer that you own, it's the merger of capital and labor that you are your own person, that you answer to yourself that you live by the sweat of your brow whether it be metaphorically in my case or physically for someone who does you know manual labor but the when you become the the convergence of capital and labor when you become the the sole proprietor then you have reached you know the pinnacle of of human evolution in my opinion you've become independent so that's 
that's that's great. I mean, if if you haven't got there yet, continue to strive for it, and more education will help you get there. I know, Lord knows that I would not be where I am today without the education that I have. Regardless of raw intelligence, it just doesn't matter unless you have the the doctoral degree behind your name to back it up. And people just don't care without that piece of paper that that is the embodiment of proof of your ability to think and reason. So. Education is a good thing, and I am very, very proud of her for going back to school, and I, I sit and listen to her work on her homework, right? And I help my kids with the homework, and I, I vowed that I was not going to help her with her homework, especially now that she's taking a political science class, because this is my thing, right? You know, I, I when I was 16, I started at the University of Minnesota. I was, so I took my first class when I was 16 years old. It was, I was full time. I was taking 18 credit hours that, that quarter. They were on quarter system. The first, first quarter I was there. Then in December, they did the semester transition, which screwed everybody else but me up. I, I came out of it with flying colors, but everyone else had trouble. So the first quarter, 18 credit hours, and I was taking all high-level, you know, 5,000-level and up classes because of my unique enrollment status. And I loved it. It was real fun. And one of my professors, who had no idea how old I was, said, you know, you're doing so well in my 5,000-level political science class. I am looking for a teacher's assistant. Would you be interested in helping me teach a 1001 political science class. And I said, sure, American government. That sounds awesome. I would love to help you teach. So he gave me a section. I had 15 kids in my section. They were, you know, 19, 20 year old, 18, 19, 20 year old, you know, college students. And here I am at now 17, because this was the following, following year, 17 teaching their section and giving a, a lecture about once every four weeks in the lecture hall for the entire 250 person class. And it was fun. I enjoyed it. So here's Jessie, and she is taking Political Science 1001, and I'm vowing I am not going to help her with her homework. I know this stuff. I know it backwards and forwards. I taught this class, right? This is this is my thing. You want to talk about Madison. You want to talk about, you know, the, the form and function of government. You want to talk about how all this ties together. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to feed her answers. I'm not going to do it. But my goodness, her discussion question for this week drove me nuts. I, I, I looked at her answer and i looked at some of the other answers because they're all going you know the world has changed folks i want to tell you the world has definitely changed when i was in college back in the dark ages back when dinosaurs ruled the earth you didn't do your homework online i i remember i had a laptop i was one of the cool kids because i had a laptop i mean my my mom was so happy that she didn't have to pay for my college it was just awesome she went and bought me a laptop so and i remember using the internet On campus, because, you know, my goodness, they had internet on campus. It was awesome. All you had to do was find an abandoned classroom, and up at the front where the the professor would be, there was a single Ethernet cable link. And so I was was the crazy one. I bought a 50-foot Ethernet cable and was able to go and plug into the teacher's lectern and run the cable back to my computer and sit in an empty classroom and download music on Napster, right? I mean, because that's what the Internet was for back in 1998. It was to use Napster to download YouTube, not YouTube for you millennials, but U2, the letter U, the number two, one of the greatest bands in human history, uh, or possibly um, a little bit of Counting Crows, 
let's talk about some more Dark Ages music. What else there? You know, you got Gregorian Chants, you got Counting Crows, Mr. Jones. Um, anyway, so that's what you know. That's what you did. Now the kids these days, and my wife included, do their homework online. Their books are online. You get a tablet with you. you download your book and you read the book on the tablet. And I, I just, I don't know, folks. I, I feel really old this week. I'm, I'm. My birthday's coming up. I'm, I'm going to be turning the ancient age of thirty-five. And I, I'm just feeling it. I mean, there's like gray in my beard. Uh, I'm, I'm like Sergeant Murtaugh walking around and going, I'm too old for this. And uh, I don't know. But so she's doing the discussion question online and you can read what the other kids are writing. And I'm blown away. I am, I am flabbergasted. I'm horrified, horrified about this. This question and the horrible answers that they're getting. The question is, now are you ready for this? You better be sitting down. If you're in your car, do not swerve into oncoming traffic when you hear this question. What civil liberties are you willing to give up for greater security? I mean, oh my goodness, what is wrong with the world where that is even a question? This is, this is awful. Now, my wife, brilliant as she is she she had a great answer she said none huh thank you of course you know she went on to explain a little bit but my goodness none is the only acceptable answer for what civil liberties are you willing to give up for greater security or freedom and this is something that we have known since the founding of our country i mean ben franklin Ben Franklin says that you can't give up. See, if you give up, if you're willing to give up freedom for security, you don't deserve either. Right? I mean, I quote that all the time, especially on this show. I'm sure everyone who's been listening to this show for any amount of time has heard me rail about Ben Franklin saying that you can't exchange freedom for liber or for, for security. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a comic that I, I keep reposting on my Facebook page that shows a prison. And it says, liberals ideal society, free food, perfect security, no choice, you know, and that's really what it is. Are we going to live in a prison? Are we going to live in a free state? Are we going to live where our actions and roles are dictated to us? Are we going to live beyond it? Now, you know, my wife is looking through her book and, and it's talking about John Stuart Mill. I was like, yes, yes, John Stuart Mill on liberty. Let's listen to that. She has a hard time doing some of the heavier reading. So I was, I looked it up on LibriVox. And so here we are last night sitting in bed listening to On Liberty by John Stuart Mill. Now, ladies, don't you wish that your husband would sit in bed with you and listen to On Liberty by John Stuart Mill? I mean, isn't that just the thing that dreams are made of? And see, I can get away with this because she's not here, so she can't make noises at me. This is awesome. I think I'm going to start doing the show by myself all the time because then, you know, nobody, even the people behind the glass, yeah, I can see you're waving at me. I don't care. No, I don't care. Not a bit. So, um, Listening to John Stuart Mill, you, you get into this this fundamental um, juxtaposition of what can society do? What is right for society to do? What limits can society place upon you? And and where does it go? And now I, I have my problems with Mill. 
All right. I'll be honest with you. I don't think that he is the end-all, be-all that some people in the Libertarian Party want to make him to be. And I don't think that there a lot of the ideas that he puts forth are necessarily practical. I am much more realpolitik. Give me a little more Machiavelli. I understand how you know power works and nation-states. Folks, we are at a commercial break. I will be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So, before the break, I was talking about realpolitik and, and nation-states as independent actors and all the wonderful stuff that I learned in political science class back in the Dark Ages. And this is leading up to yeah, the the whole speeding or not speeding enough in the left lane and and what is the proper role of government and that dovetails nicely into the GCO mantra on why we're here and trying to make better laws. But we got to get we got to get back to basics, okay? If if we have people who are willing to exchange liberty for security, then none of this matters. None of this, none of what I'm doing here today, nothing that GCO does, nothing that you do in your life, the widgets you make or, or the buildings that you build or the, the people that you heal as a doctor, and I use heal in quotes there loosely, you know, all of that is pointless if we as a society have embraced the idea that you can sacrifice your liberty to become more secure, because you can't. You can't. It is a shell game. It is a con. This is a con. You are being conned. And you're not even learning the sleight of hand that comes with being conned. And that's a sad thing. I mean, you know, the Jamaican guy took every last dime that I had, but it was worth it all just to learn some sleight of hand. It doesn't work if you don't even learn from the mistake. And you're not going to learn from this mistake because there is no lesson behind it other than that power corrupts. So let's let's look at this. What liberty, uh, I, my wife is, is so brilliant in her answers, what liberty can you give up to make yourself more secure? And this this is, we have to pull in some different philosophical ideas. You have to apply the, the principle of universality. Okay, you need to make sure that this is like Kant's categorical imperative. There we go. Let's bring in some heavy guns. Yes, I am talking about Immanuel Kant on the radio on a Saturday morning on Labor Day weekend. Take that. Uh huh. I don't care. So Immanuel Kant's categorical imperative broken down for the people who are still on their first cup of coffee. If you are to make a maxim, if you're going to make something that's going to be a rule, if this is going to be something that you think is appropriate to have as a rule for society, it must be universally applied and still be moral. Okay, so what does that mean? That means if I say um, people in the left lane should move over if there's someone speeding coming up on them. That should be that that maxim in order for it to be a just law has to be universally applied to everybody who is in that particular space. So let's think about this. It falls apart in a half a second. This whole idea falls apart in just one half second if you have ever been on the connector during rush hour. Because I've come up on people and they're dead stopped and I'm doing 45. So should then they all get over for me? But you can't, because traffic, traffic is backing everything up. 
So if everyone had to get over, it would cause havoc and chaos and isn't the way it works. So a better maxim is that you should, in the leftmost lane, attain the most, the highest reasonable, legal, safe speed, right? If you have the ability to get over, you probably should. But why are we making that criminal? What is it that makes that criminal? And this is where we get to Mill and what Jesse was reading last night. Mill says that not only should you involve Kant's categorical imperative, that it be universally applied, but Mill says that there really is only one time in all of human existence, there is only one time when society can effectuate that rulemaking ability. It has to not only be universally applied, but it has to be for the limited purpose of self-preservation. First, do no harm. And the mere idea that something is better for you or is moral or is right or you would be happier if, those are not reasons to make a rule because that imposes on a person's free will. It takes a person and removes them from their place as an independent decision maker and makes them nothing more than ants marching if we are to keep going back to some dark age music. So as we look at the laws that are being promulgated, we need to evaluate them not only against the categorical imperative, but we need to evaluate them in terms of the amount of force they're using. Now, the, the, the argument is, oh, oh, Doug, don't worry. Those left lane people or the people who are... um Speeding or the people who don't have covered loads when they're taking their stuff to the dump or the people who are whatever. I mean, you take take your minor infraction that you get issued a citation for, including now apparently carrying a gun at the airport. So, you know, if if you take those instances and you say, ah, Doug, it doesn't really matter because it's not like we're going to kill somebody over this. This isn't a death penalty case. This is just uh, it's a 200 300 $400 fine. No, I mean, it's no big deal. In the grand scheme of things, it's no big deal. Well, you know what? That $100 fine, $150 fine, let's do is $150 fine because that makes some nice math for the non-math major, right? A $150 fine isn't just $150. It's between 10 and 20 hours of your life. You were imprisoned for 20 hours for doing that. Now, if they took you and locked you up in jail for 20 hours for not going fast enough or going too fast in the left lane or going too fast in any lane or um, following too closely or running a red light, the people would be up in arms. People would be screaming, hey, you can't imprison me for a day just because I, I missed a stop sign. That's not right. We won't stand for that. But why is it that when we take your money... That there's no outcry. Why is there no outcry for, for taking a person's livelihood? Money can be exchanged for goods and services. Oh, okay. Quick. This whole episode is a, a rant, and I get that, and you're going to sit and listen to it. But here's a side rant on top of the rant, because this one is just too good. Okay? Money can be exchanged for goods and services. All of you people on the Outdoors Trader or on Georgia Packing or on AR15.com or Gun Broker or any other internet-based gun trading, selling, blah, blah, blah. When you say for trade only, you are not only being 
insipidly ignorant. You are bucking um, easily 500 years of sound economic principles, laughing in the face of uh, the wealth of nations, and displaying your your ignorance in ways that just are infuriating. Because if you want to take your 1896 broom-handled Mauser and 7.62 Mauser, and you're only willing to trade it for a gold-plated Savage 110 and 7mm Ott 8 with a walnut stock and a 2-inch um, extension, no other trades accepted, guess what? It ain't going to move, because that's not how economics works. Instead, why don't you say, huh, the gun I really want costs $2,000. My gun, I think, is worth about $2,000. So, I will trade you for exactly what I want. Sure, I'll put that in the ad. But failing that, you may buy my gun for $2,000 so that I may then, in turn, turn around and buy the gun I really want for $2,000 instead of this vainglorious hope that my gun will attract the attention of the owner of the gun, the exact obscure model gun that I want, and we will have a perfect trade. You see, barter went out about, I don't know, six, seven hundred years ago for most of the world, because you run into a situation where people have goods that they want to exchange, but that the holder of the goods that they wish to receive are not in agreement on the exchange rate, or do not wish to exchange for the item that you have to exchange. So we invented currency, and I say we loosely meaning humanity, We invented currency to take care of this problem so that money can be exchanged for goods and services. There you go. I mean, even the Simpsons got this. Homer Simpson got this, folks. How hard can it be if Homer Simpson gets it? Okay, rant over. Next one of you who listens to the show puts up for trade only on on Gun Broker. I'm going (coughs) to beat you with a wet noodle. We're at a commercial break. We'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, folks. Okay, so I'm a little calmer now. We took a commercial break, and I'm done ranting about uh, trading guns. But I, I do want to focus back in on what does it mean to sacrifice liberty for security? And we are on, on a downward spiral in this country because... Individuals, people who are intelligent, people who are college graduates, people who are running this country, don't understand these fundamental principles anymore. And it is, it is, it is a, a crying shame. It is a travesty and it's dangerous. I mean, just flat out, this is dangerous for the, the direction our country is going to go. How many laws do we have, right? Let's look at this just just in the microcosm of traffic laws. Title 40 in Georgia is a massive tome that nobody would want to have to sit down and read. And all of those laws apply to you. But some of the laws are kind of contradictory, right? There's a law that says you cannot go more than 70 miles an hour on 75. If you are going more than 70 miles an hour, you are breaking the law. 
Then there's a law that says that you can't be in the fast lane if someone is approaching you. But if if you're going, let's say that you're going 70 or you're breaking the law and going 75 or even 80, if someone's approaching you who's going faster than you are, how can they possibly be going faster than you are? So you're kind of caught in the middle. You're caught in a place where you can be pulled over for going too fast. You can be pulled over for going too slow. And the one speed that you cannot get pulled over in doesn't exist. The only thing that they need to be able to pull you over is to approach you going more than the speed limit, and they can pull you over. It is rolling probable cause, and it is it is a shame. There, We have fund, fundamental principles that are supposed to protect us from usurpations of government. And one is, no warrant shall be issued but upon finding a probable cause. Well, we've completely undone the warrant requirement. You can be issued a ticket. It's not a warrant. It's just a ticket because we're just going to take your life, right? We've already established that money is life. You go to work. You work hours and hours to earn that money. So if we take your money, there is no fundamental difference between taking that money or forcing you to work for the government. That's what you've done. You've been forced to work for the government. Taxation is theft. That's a liberal thing or a libertarian thing that they roll out all the time. Taxation is theft. Taxation is not theft, but it is definitely a cost of living in a society. And we can get into social contract theory, too. You want to talk about, you know, who, who did, did you ever sign the social contract? There's another libertarian thing. And, you know, guys, you know that I, I believe that the Libertarian Party is the best party ideologically out there right now. Um, Republicans sure aren't doing anything in us any favors whatsoever. Democrats haven't in decades and decades. So <clears throat> let's let's just be honest. I mean, there's not a lot of good choices out there. And libertarians, at least at this point, still pay lip service to ideas like freedom and equality and individual liberty. So I'm willing to throw in with them much more than I am with anybody else. But there there are issues with, with any group of people. And here I am looking at laws that take our liberty, take our freedom, take our lives th with threats of force to accomplish what? To impose moral maxims on people? Isn't that what this is? The move over law. Okay. And I don't care if it's move over from a car that's going faster than you in the, the fast lane or move over for a stopped emergency vehicle on the side of the road. This isn't something we need a law about. This is not something that we should be f imprisoning people or taking their lives for. This is something that should be just a moral maxim. This is something that we should teach our children to do. I moved over for stopped emergency vehicles as long as it was safe and as long as it was practical since I started driving. It's not because there was a law. It's because it's just the right thing to do. I get over for vehicles that are moving faster than me if I am going less than the speed limit all the time. Because Not because there's a law, but because it's the right thing to do. I also think that it's the right thing to do to not uh, acquiesce to a speeder's desire to go so fast that they're going to create a hazard to themselves and others. I think that, you know, if you're going 75 or 80 on the freeway and you've got someone who wants to do 110, well, I'm sorry, go move to Germany because you can't do that here. Not because there's a law, but because it's dangerous. 
It's dangerous for myself and my kids when I'm on the road with them. It's dangerous for you. And you need to, to, it's not because there's a law, but you need to recognize that your abilities may not be what they, you think they are. I mean, if sure, if you are Mario Andretti and you've got yourself a brand new Z06 or a Porsche 911 or something that can handle it, eh, you know, but 99% of the people out there who are driving these beat up old cars on donuts who want to do a 95 on the freeway, you're going to kill yourself and someone else with you. And that's where I draw the line. And that's where society is allowed to draw the line, even according to nut jobs like John Stuart Mill. Because when it becomes a matter of self-defense, you are able to take that in hand and impose your will on somebody else as a society. But this is not about self-defense when it's just imposing consequences for a moral maxim. So that's where that's where it comes down to. Now, we need to educate people as to this fundamental guiding principle of life, right? We don't get that. We think, and I think that, I think this comes back to immaturity and, and childhood, okay? When Mill was writing 1850s, okay, 1850s, a young woman would get married and have children 16, 17, 18, 19. By the time you're getting 22, 23, you're getting to be kind of an old maid. And people are wondering why you aren't married with a couple of kids. It was very common uh, through the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries for women to bear children very young in life, at least very young from our perspective. Now, I think that it is a good idea to become mature before you have kids. But I also think that having kids makes most people, not all, oh, Lord, we know some, right? Not all, but most people become more mature by having kids, because suddenly, here is a little life that you love that is completely dependent on you and you to make decisions. Now, you turn to your parents and her parents and your friends and neighbors who have children and you draw it from experience from them. You get advice. But in the end, the one who has to do the baths, the one who has to make the meals, the one who has to pack the lunches, the one who has to do the laundry, the one who has to pick up the toys... That person had, takes a measure of individual responsibility and learns to do it their way, right? You know, let's, let's look at anyone who has kids. Look at somebody who just had their first baby. I'm sure you all have a friend on Facebook who just had their first baby, and they are pontificating about how hard it is to do this or that, or how this brand of diaper is just vastly superior to everything else, and oh my goodness, it takes three hours to get ready to be able to go to the doctor for the visit, and it is such a, a, an ordeal to get everything together. And then you look at someone who has five kids. And it's time to go to the doctor and they're throwing um, freshly laundered but never folded balled up clothes at each of the kids saying, get dressed, get dressed. They're flying out to the car. Some of them have matching shoes. One of them doesn't. One of them says the shoes are in the car and the parent just kind of prays that that's true as they go down the driveway saying, look for your shoes. Right? I mean, isn't that the truth? So what happened between child number one, where it takes three hours to get ready to the doctor, and child number five, where you just wing it? Maturity. 
it's maturity. It's, it's the ability to roll with what life gives you, to understand that not everything is going to always be perfect, and that you can't impose your will on every little facet of existence. Oh my goodness, think about that. You can't impose your will on every facet of someone else's existence. Now, we've got a generation who's growing up whose parents were like that, whose parents were, hey, let's just get through today. We'll get done what we've got to do. We'll make the sacrifices we have to make. It's not going to be a big deal. We'll get through it. But the kids, the kids look at it, and now they're adults, and they're like, oh, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to have control of my existence. And when they start to feel that semblance of control, when they leave the house, when they go to college, when they get their taste of liberty and freedom, where their parent isn't controlling them, what is their first inclination? I know what's best for me. I know what to do. Therefore, I'm going to impose my will on everybody else. And here's where just getting through our parents, just getting through falls horribly short. Because just getting through gives you the impression that when you're in control, you can do what you want. That's not it. That's not it at all. When you're in control, you can't do what you want. You have to do right. When you're in control, you have to have a higher moral, ethical understanding and calling. And that's the nature of leadership. But if your parents didn't lead, if they just survived then the next generation's attitude is that they will do it better, that they can lead even though they don't have the proper tools, equipment, or mental faculties to really do it. They're immature. They think that they can order people around. And that is what we see in the legislature. That is what we see in law enforcement. That is what we see in all of these different facets of life, is that people think that they can order somebody else around. There are times to order someone around. If you see someone who's going to kill themselves, time to get involved. But if you see someone who's doing something that you don't personally like, that is not the time for you to get involved. That is not the time for you to try to enforce your will. We're at a commercial break. We'll be right back. And now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Sorry, folks. I'm, I'm we're back. I am still getting choked up from time to time from the cold I had last week. But I want to I want to sum up this week on this moral maxim idea. Okay, GeorgiaCarry.org does not enforce our views on anyone else. That can't be said for the anti-gun lobby. They are all about enforcing their views upon every person. You would be better off with, you would be happier if you did what we said. Well, you know, you can believe that, but forcing someone through threat of harm to do what you want them to do because you think that they would be happier is evil. This is evil. It's not just wrong. It's evil. It goes against everything that Western philosophy is based on. It goes against every idea of every common sense practical solution that comes through. It, it, it is all, it is contrary to everything that we do in life to think that you can order someone else to believe what you want or to, to be who you want. And you can't. You got to let people be themselves. And if you're going to say, oh, 
but I know better than you do, and you need to do what I say. You're not acting like a member of society. You're acting like a parent, and you're treating the other person like a child. And this is what I was trying to get around to and talking about parents and children and children who grow up and don't understand what discipline is. Discipline is not doing what you're told. That's obedience. Discipline is not having to be told because you understand that you have to do what you need to do. That's discipline. You discipline yourself. Yeah, I hear parents talk about disciplining their children. That's not. It's, it's coercing obedience. It's not discipline. I believe in discipline, but discipline must come from inside your heart. And you have to understand that doing this is better for you inside because it cannot be imposed externally. There comes a point where it cannot be imposed externally. Uh, childhood is about showing children that you are right. This is, this is the grand experiment. They come to you with eyes wide open, not suspecting that you are right. And you prove to them over and over again that you are right by virtue of passing on knowledge that you've obtained through a lifetime of hard discipline. When that breaks down, then you don't have discipline. You just have coercion. If you are ruling your household through coercion, the only thing that, that holds them in is the threat of force. As soon as they have an inkling of freedom, they break free and they turn their back on everything that you were telling them. Not only is that dangerous for them, but that is dangerous if it becomes generation-wide. Now, a few individuals, who cares? But when it is a generation-wide structure, then you end up with America pretty much like it is today. So how do we fight that? Well, we need some discipline. We need people to step back and evaluate what is good and right at the most basic levels. And this is philosophical. To get there, you have to have a philosophy that breeds forth individualism. You have to have a philosophy that breeds forth the, the drive to improve oneself, to protect others, and to do right. These are civic virtues. We're going to go back to Aristotle. Let's go back to Aristotle and talk about civic virtue, right? Even Aristotle in his, or Plato's Republic, we're going to go there. Plato, better, you know, more, uh, well-read, I think. Plato's Republic postulated a, a place for slaves and a place for middle-class men and had a ruling elite. It was hardly a, an ideal place to live, despite his protestations to the contrary. But even Plato and Aristotle would look and say there are civic virtues. These are things that that are necessary for society to maintain itself and to progress and for people to be happy and healthy and for it to be more than life being nasty, brutish, and short. And if we're going to be this, if we're going to do this, it has to come with a knowledge of what civic virtue is at an early age. And we need to instill this. So what are civic virtues? Well, civic virtues are things like going to church. It doesn't really matter what church you go to, but going to church, having respect for your elders, having respect for the law. Now, of course, I am a little bit Klingon here, but I'm going to say respect is earned, not given away. If the law wants to be respected, it needs to be respectable. If your elders want to be respected, they need to be respectable. If your government wants to be respected, well, it doesn't. It just doesn't care anymore. 
Your government does not care whether you respect it or not. You look at the approval ratings of Congress and the president, and and even they they poll likely voters in order to get it up into the teens of percentage points. When you look at society as a whole, everyone thinks that they're just absolutely worthless and horrible and evil. And you know, even though we're one country, we are we act like we are provinces under colonial rule because. We just don't believe in in the politicians that are being sent and sent as loosely to Washington. So how how do you overcome that? Well, you need to get involved. And here I'm going to do the membership spiel, not just because they tell me to. And even yeah, some of these people here, even though I'm here doing it by myself and I kind of got some freedom and latitude, and they're not paying that much attention to me. If I don't do the membership drive, they're going to come in here with pitchforks and burning torches. I just know it. So. You gotta, you gotta get involved. Get involved with GeorgiaCarry.org. Best lobbying group in all of Georgia. Best way to get to know fellow gun owners. Um, you can't ask for a better group. You're looking at $20 a year, $500 for a lifetime. You can go to www.GeorgiaCarry.org. Join now. You can go to a local chapter meeting where there's good food and fellowship and friends. You can listen to a good speaker, get some, some things done open carry if you want have a good time you can go to just about any gun show there'll be a, a volunteer working the booth ready to get you signed up and get you the information you need the benefits of membership include not only being able to go to the the big convention every year which we just had but also uh and i mean the georgia carry convention not dragon con dragon con oh well, i wish the building was taller here so i could see the parade anyway um so it, you can you can join at any gun show. There's chapter meetings. There's local festivals. I wish we had a table at Dragon Con that I could be manning right now. Yeah. Um, but join GeorgiaCarry.org. It's the best organization out there, and you'll get legislative updates. You'll know who you have to contact, when you have to contact them, what's going down, what bills need to be backed, which ones don't. Um, you also learn all that by listening here. So there's there's lots of good information, good ways to be connected, good ways to get things done and, and improve your civicness and your civic virtues. So now that I've, I've rattled through that way too quickly, we need to really get back to basics on what is our political, moral, ideological philosophy. We need to get into what does this mean? And you can't gloss over it. So what got me on this, this rabbit trail? I'm, I'm telling you, it's not just the cop that thinks that I can't go too fast or too slow in one lane it's a lot bigger than that it's the kid in in my wife's class who says i'm perfectly happy to sacrifice any civil liberties i need to to get more security we've done it before just look at and he didn't use these words but look at korematsu versus us i'm sorry i'm so sorry but no no that's wrong korematsu is not a, a, a bastion of, hey, we've done it before and we're doing it now, so let's just do it again. Is does not work here. We need to start looking at the world and the way things ought to be. Thank you, Rush. The way things ought to be is far more important than what is. What is is transitory. What is it may be practical. What is may be expedient. But what is is not right. What is right is what it ought to be, and we need to fight for what it ought to be. We need to fight for what we believe in and to make a better world for ourselves and our children and not simply acquiesce to is because it's expedient. We need to recognize that there are some things that we cannot give up. These are inalienable principles. And if we give up these, then we cease to be what we are. 
We cease to be an American when we are willing to sacrifice liberty for security. We cease to be American. We cease to be the guiding light, the the light up on the hill for the rest of the world when we lose individuality. When our individual nature succumbs to the social, we have ceased to be what made this country great. You know, Trump talks about let's make America great again. And I, I, it resonates with me. Okay. I'm conservative. Deep down, I'm conservative. So I, I believe that we can be a great nation. What I don't believe is that we were a great nation. I think that we can be a great nation. But in order to be a great nation, we have to learn from the past, build upon it, and embrace principles that are greater than ourselves. You know, the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, all right? TJ, here we go. He's out there writing, all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. By the way, I've got some slaves over here, and I need you to go do all this even if you don't like it. Okay, our founding fathers did not walk the walk and talk the talk perfectly. Our founding fathers believed in ideals that they wanted to live up to. Maybe it wasn't always practical. Maybe it wasn't always expedient. Sometimes they fell. Sometimes they were wrong. Sometimes their beliefs were wrong. But they, and through it all, they had this ideal of what America meant. And they held on to it. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to get back to that ideal of what America means and hold on to it for the future and teach it to our kids. Folks, it's it's Labor Day weekend. Get out of here. I'm going to talk to you later. Same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town, 